Okay, let's move on to the next passage on perception. Okay, there are true perceptions and there are false perceptions. And as you can imagine, a false perception creates a lot of potential for suffering. In passage 12, the Buddha points out four what are called perversions of perception. Perversions of mind, perversions of view. Which four? Constant with regard to the inconstant is a perversion of perception. Pleasant with regard to the stressful. Self with regard to not-self. And attractive with regard to the unattractive as a perception, perversion of perception, perversion of mind, and perversion of view. Okay, what he's pointing out here is that if you apply inappropriate perceptions okay, to things, it's going to get you messed up. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> You're going to suffer. And even in areas where you think that something that you've always seen as attractive or something you've always seen as self, you have to remind yourself, okay, this is just a perception that you're adding on to top, on top of things. This is a label that you're applying to them. And because you're applying a label that's inaccurate, it's going to cause unskillful actions. And so you want to look very carefully at how you label things. Again, with the John Mahabur, he talks about how he was trying to fight the perception of attractive and, he, and one way of doing that is that whenever you look at a human body, start to say, okay, what happens to the human body if you take off the skin? And if you take all the different pieces apart and put them on the floor in front of you. And so he'd visualize this again and again and again. Why are you laughing, Rose? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, it doesn't, it doesn't. Exactly. How could you be interested? And so that's what he did you know, for a long period of time. And then he began to say, gee, is my lust gone? Because you know, he'd look at people and he wouldn't see any lust happening. Because automatically he would just go to that, that mindset, that analysis. So he said, well, well there, was no one, there was no one point where he could see that the lust had actually stopped. Was the question, was, was he just suppressing it or was he, has he actually stopped the lust? So he said, okay, let's put it back together again. And so he would, you know, imagine the body coming back together again. And then he, whenever he went, he had this beautiful body kind of clinging to him in his mind's eye to see if that would cause any lust. And he said, for the first four days, nothing happened. Fifth day. <laughs> and he, so all of a sudden, there was this, the idea that he actually liked this body that had been clinging to him day and night. He said, oh my gosh, that's a sign that lust hasn't really been extirpated. So he started, okay, taking it apart, putting it back together, taking it apart, putting it back together. And then he realized what the whole issue was, the arbitrary nature of the perception applying to the particular body. And you can see this. I mean, you look at personal ads. And so-and-so wants, you know, Hispanic. So-and-so wants Asian. So-and-so wants white or black or whatever. I mean, that's their perception as to what's attractive. It's all pretty arbitrary. And so it's seeing the arbitrary nature of your perceptions. Even when they seem accurate, that's, that's going to be the big issue. Eventually you have to even take your accurate perceptions apart as well. But the big troublemakers are the inaccurate ones. You start out with those. And you notice the four he's got. You know, the, the, what we call the three characteristics. I'm going to get to that in a minute though. Plus the question of attractive and unattractive. So you've got these perceptions here. There's a perception of self, perception of pleasant, perception of constant, perception of attractive. 
So what you want to do is to counteract those perceptions by replacing them with other perceptions. And this is where we get to the three characteristics. And it's interesting, though, if you, if you have a CD-ROM edition of the Polycanon on your computer, try typing in three characteristics, or the poly-equivalent, which would be Dilakanon, and see if it's mentioned in the Polycanon. It's not. The word anatta is not listed as a characteristic. Anicca is not a characteristic. Dukkha is not listed as a characteristic in the Pali Canon at all. These are terms that come in from the, from the commentaries. The only things that you will see, the only compounds that you see with anicca, dukkha, anatta, um, in constant stress and not self, are one, the word anupasana, which is a meditation practice of looking at things from the point of view of a particular perception. And then there's the anicca, sanya, dukkha, sanya, anatta, sanya. These are perceptions that you apply to things. So what the Buddha is teaching you here is to take these perceptions as a corrective to your normal way of looking at things in an unskillful way and start applying them across the board. The things that you ordinarily would not look at as inconstant, stressful, and not self. So you're, again, you're using perception as a tool for uprooting unskillful perceptions. Now, the, the Buddha at times will say, okay, the things, you know, all compounded things are stressful, all compounded things are inconstant, all dharmas are not self. It's just the way things are. But he never says that that exhausts the totality of their being. These are things that you can see, you can you observe in them, but sometimes people say, you know, the three marks of existence are just these three things. This explains everything about existence. The Buddha never says that. What he says is if you apply these, these perceptions, it helps for the purpose of liberation. So these are not false perceptions, but these are the, this is the aspect of things that you want to look at. Because there's a certain aspect of things you could look at which would be constant. You know, has your bottom lip ever become your upper lip? <laughs> this will never happen. You know. <laughs> has your ear ever become your eye? And John Lee has a whole Dharma talk on this topic. You know. Certain things are constant, but it doesn't really make any difference for the purpose of your liberation, to look at that constancy. It's better to look at the inconstant side so you can help develop some dispassion, because as we said, it's your, it's your passion for things that get you involved in creating more suffering, so you learn how to work on perceptions that will help undercut passion. So this passage here in passage number 13 um, this is only part of a much longer sutta where the monk Gyarimananda is sick and Ananda goes to the Buddha and says it would be really good if the Buddha went to visit him. He'd probably feel a lot better. And so Ananda says, okay, you go to him and tell him these ten perceptions. It's possible that when you hear these ten perceptions, his disease may be allayed. So we've got the perception of inconstancy, perception of not-self, perception of unattractiveness, perception of drawbacks, abandoning, Dispassion, cessation, disp- the perception of distaste for every world, the perception of the undesirability of all fabrications, and this is the real kicker, mindfulness of in and out breathing is also a perception. Okay, we'll go, let's go down that. Okay? Okay. If you've had any background in the Dharma at all, you know a lot of these perceptions already. The perception of inconstancy, you say form is inconstant, feeling, fabrications, consciousness, Perception, fabrications, and consciousness are inconstant. You just hold that in mind. 
perception of not-self. The eye forms, ear, sounds, nose, etc., down through the sense media. These are all not-self. Unattractiveness. This is taking the body apart. This is the perception. You look at, first look at yourself and say, what would I look like if I took my skin off and put it in a pile? Even if I folded the skin up very neatly in front of me. <laughs> I couldn't stand looking at myself. Okay. And then you say, well, the person that I'm lusting for, you did the same thing to them. That would be the same problem. Now, some people will complain that this is teaching an unhealthy body image, but we're all equal. <laughs> we're all equal on this level. <laughs> no matter how beautiful somebody is, you take off the skin and you can't look at them. We're all on the same level here. It's, it's, so it's an unhealthy body image is when you see yourself as ugly and everybody else is attractive. A healthy negative body image is when you see we're all unattractive. Okay. <laughs> okay. Perception of drawbacks. Is it, Go down the list of all the things that could happen to your body. Okay. The body has many kinds of diseases. Just the fact that you have a body means that you, you could be subject to any of these things. Seeing diseases, hearing diseases, nose diseases, tongue diseases, body, head, ear diseases, mouth diseases, teeth, cough, asthma, catarrh, fever, aging, stomachache, fainting, dysentery. You, well, you, get, the, you get the picture, okay? This is, again, this is to help give you, develop a sense of dispassion for this body. <laughs> what is the perception of abandoning? Okay. There's the perception where you don't tolerate an arisen thought of sensuality. You abandon it, destroy it, dispel it, wipe it out of existence. You don't tolerate an arisen thought of ill will or an arisen thought of harmfulness. In other words, you perceive these things as worth abandoning. As soon as you sense that any of these thoughts are in your mind, you say, no, drop them. Wipe them out of existence. It's paragraph number five. Six. What is this perception of dispassion? There's a case where having gone to the wilderness to the shade of a tree or an empty dwelling, you reflect this way. This is peace. This is exquisite. The stilling of all fabrications, the relinquishment of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, dispassion, unbinding. Okay, in other words, the perception here is when you see dispassion as a good thing. If you look at all the things that you were passionate about and that you were involved in, saying, this is really not worth it. Last week, I was at the DPP, and um, one of the very, the very last talk that was given was on the topic of transcendent, um, transcendent dependent core rising, where you start with suffering and you work through conviction and joy, rapture, tranquility, all the way up through dispassion and um, cessation and finally release. And when the speaker was got to the topic of dispassion, hands were raised in the back room, but yes, but, yes, but, and everybody had a lot of yes, buts about this idea of dispassion. So it doesn't come naturally to all of us to want to say dispassion is probably the answer to all this. But it takes a lot of reflection to realize, okay, when you look at all this, the trouble that can come from getting attached to things, maybe it might be a good idea to disengage a little bit. Similarly with the seventh perception is seeing that cessation would be a good thing. This is peace, this is exquisite, the cessation of all suffering. Or this is stilling of all fabrications, relinquishment of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, cessation, unbinding. Okay. What is the perception of distaste for every world? It's the case where abandoning any attachments, clings, fixations, awareness, biases, or obsessions with regard to any world. You refrain from them and do not get involved. 
I mean, there are people. It hasn't hit the American Buddhist community so much because most American Buddhists still don't believe in reincarnation or rebirth. But there are people in the Buddhist world who say, I really would like to be a deva before I go out, you know, just to see what it's like. <laughs> you know, devas get to ride around in fast cars and they come and they go and they can have a lot of fun. You know? But you have to realize that even devas suffer, okay? And you realize, okay, wouldn't we go on even there? That gives you more impetus to want to work on the path. And the perception of undesirability of all fabrications. When you feel horrified, humiliated, disgusted with all fabrications, you try to develop that perception too. And this is a perception that's on the virtue, the version, excuse me, on the verge of awakening. When you realize that any intentional element that you put into experience is going to cause stress. When it when it gets that that perception gets that refined. Finally, in and out breathing is also a perception. You focus on the breath. And remember, we talked about this earlier, the role that perception plays in how you go through those 16 steps of breath meditation. I got into a difficulty a while back. There was a question that arose in Thailand over the translation of the word sanya as perception. There was one monk who was insisting that it had to mean memory because that's the, one of the Thai words that's used to translate perception is the word jam, which can be translated as memory. It can also be translated as labeling and be translated as um, recognizing. And so word of this got to a John Sawat. And he didn't say anything one way or the other, but he said, why is it that in these ten perceptions the Buddha includes in and out breathing? And I said, well... Doesn't the word perception apply not only to memories of the past, but also to your labels of the present moment? He said, yes. He gave me my ammunition. And that's a very Thai way of doing it. You know, I didn't come out and say the other person was stupid or whatever. He just gave me the ammunition. If the argument ever came to me, I could say, well, look, here you are applying a perception to the present moment, your breath. Because you cannot remember, you, you can't focus on a past breath. Have you ever tried? <laughs> <laughs> If you missed that breath, can you bring it back? <laughs> this is perception as it's applied to the present moment. So these are d- ten different ways of using the process of perception so as to induce dispassion. Right? Any passion you have for the aggregates or for the senses or for your body or for any ideas that you might have that, gee, I'd really like to be reborn as a deva or I'd really like to come back and become president of the United States at least once to see what it's like. Um, and then you realize that it's all suffering. You, you apply that perception to it. So that, that would be miserable. I don't want to get involved with that. So, any questions on these perceptions? Yes. Actually, it's going back a little bit to um, the question of desire. Um, and you're saying that, uh, you know, we kind of get the party line that it's a, it is attachment to desire that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And then when you're talking about letting go of suffering by not seeing it as mere mind, it seems like you could apply that to your attachment to desire, seeing that it's not my desire, it's just mm-hmm. desire, and then it can, it can dissolve. So... Yeah, but then you want to make sure that it doesn't come back again. Because there are many la- la- layers of your involvement with your desire. Why did it arise to begin with? There had to be an intentional element. 
for the desire to come. Now, if you're constantly giving rise to a desire and then saying no, giving rise to a desire and saying no, it gets very frustrating after a while. You say, why bother giving rise to these desires? Why do, I, why do I continue giving rise to them? And the mind that says, well, they just arise on their own, that's the mind that's not really paying careful attention. What you want to do is be in a position where hey, you see something that needs to be done. Okay, that's a desire that you would go with and you actually would cultivate that desire. Something needs to be done here. This is why... Originally, it's not the question of not having you attached to desires, it's having you learn how to direct your desires in a new direction towards being skillful, towards being able to abandon unskillful things. But again, the whole purpose of desire, there's the, desire comes from a sense of lack. Things aren't right. Something needs to be done. What about hormones? Hmm? What about hormonal? If you ask your body, body, what do you want? What does it say? Procreate. Your body couldn't care less. No, I mean... It's your mind that wants to do that. I mean, six billion people might disagree. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, you know, we seem to be... It seems to be a desire. to a vote, you know. (laughs) No, it's not your body that wants to procreate. Your mind wants to procreate. I mean, the body would be perfectly content to die, you know? Yeah, so, but then we we observe. (laughs) Anyway, okay. We can can discuss it later. (laughs) No, really. (laughs) No, this is important. (laughs) Again. Oh, I thought it was something else. Um, no, I, I got into an argument with a John Fuang about this one time. And, he's, and the whole business about being a monk. I mean, this is before I had ordained. And he said, you know, you're denying this and you're denying that and you're letting, not letting the body have its natural desires. And he said, what natural desires? Bodies don't have desires. Your mind has all the desires. And then it gets the hormones stirring in the body. It knows how to do this. It's learned this a long time back. And it says, see, see, the body you know, wants this too. But it's actually, it all comes out of the mind. I mean, you can ask your hand, hand, do you want to continue being used? Hand doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, isn't some of it coming out of survival? I mean, again, that's the mind wanting to survive. So then if you're in total dispassion, why would you eat? Why would you drink? Why would you take care of your body? Okay, you would feel, okay, taking care of this body, suppose you gain total awakening. Is this of any use to other people, the fact that I'm alive? I mean, it is, you keep going. But when the time comes to say, okay, this is not providing any use for anybody at all, you let go. So it's a different kind of relationship. Okay, consciousness. Ooh. Yes. Thank you. So, 
I just want to be clear about what you're saying. You're, are you saying that um, my experience, having been in several relationships in my life, mm-hmm. is that at some point um, um, the woman I, I'll be with will say, I really need to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the focus of... Um, some heated debate mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you saying that it's in the mind? Or, you know, I, I think that cultural, culturally sometimes we believe that women are programmed to procreate um, and, so, and men are as well for, um, to keep the species going. It's sort of like cultural understanding. Okay, the body is wired so that you, there are physical feelings that arise. And it's how the mind reads those, those feelings. And its decision to go with them or not go with them. It's interesting. I, I think what I hear you say is, is that there are choice points there. Mm-hmm. There are choice points. If there weren't, I mean, we wouldn't have any celibate people around. So I'm actually asking now for your experience in your own life. So you're, you're saying that in your, your understanding of your own experience that it's your mind that held the uh, or holds things like having babies and sex and all that. And it's actually not the body that yearns and gets lusty. It's actually so it's not that the mind does it 80 percent, but the body does it 20. It's actually the mind is. The lustful. Okay, there are sensations in the body, and then you decide to go with them. And if you don't decide to go with them, you say you just kind of breathe through them, they're gone. But you've you've, you've had that particular experience in the past. You say, if I run with this, I'm going to get a really good charge out of this. And so you run with it. But if you decide, well, I don't have to. I have other, other ways of relating to those particular sensations. If you don't encourage the sensation, it goes away. I mean, there is an element of past karma coming in here, the fact that you have that kind of body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, you can decide not to go with it. And this is one of the reasons why you know, we talk about using the breath, using perception, using all this, these different aspects of fabrication. You can use that to disband an unskillful emotion and unskillful feeling. So is, is this also tying into the theme that you've brought up several times today uh, of... Um, Getting clear what your intentions are. Exactly. And then keeping in, in mind, reminding yourself, okay, I don't want to have to go for that because the last time I went for it, I caused a lot of trouble. Okay. But simply knowing that it caused trouble is not enough. You have to know what are the alternative ways of dealing with it. And this is why the Buddha talks about fabrication to show you that okay, these things do have a constructed element to them. You can learn how to deconstruct it if you want to. And then over time, as you get more and more skilled at marshalling your intentions, because what you find at the beginning is part of you says, yes, I want to stop this particular pattern of behavior. And the other part says, why? Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this it's conflict between desires. But as you learn how to parse the unskillful desire and strengthen the skillful one, you get to the point where you're in a, you're in a very different position. And so I'm guessing that this is all based on the teaching of the Four Noble Truths about what causes stress and what, causes, and what yeah. doesn't. Right, right. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. I am. Um, <clears throat> I was pondering on what you were saying and uh, Tanja's response, and there seems to be something about uh, a discharge of energy that wants to uh, find a pathway out of the body, and whether it's through sexual release or through uh, some other uh, means, like um, some creative endeavor or you know some physical exertion, like taking a run or doing something to discharge that unconscious movement within the mind um, seems to be um, what um, I think can can be helpful at least for me to remember um, to uh, to consider and um, I think that there's some sort of an energy level in the body that is where it reaches sort of an equilibrium where you may have too much or not enough and doing things like exercise can help you generate energy um, as well as spend off more than what you need Um, but I think we can do self-regulation we don't always need to feed off of other people or get them involved in our inner um, energy work if you will within ourselves and that's just kind of my own experience and I I don't know just it, it helps me with what I deal with in my own, you know, understanding of all well, this. This is a lot of what the breath work is about. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, many people find that you know, as they work, focus on the breath, there's a lot of pressure building up in some part of the body. And you know that there are channels that you can allow it to flow out. Yes. Because there's pressure in the chest, you let it flow out your arms. Totally. <laughs> when I was up at Meta last year with you and you gave me the instructions on how to work with the breath, mm-hmm that opened my eyes to all of this. And um, I do that practice regularly and know that that's one of the ways my body maintains equilibrium and is able to literally regulate itself on this, uh, with this exchange. So it really does help me do this. So thank you. Well, what it, what it comes down to is having extra skills for dealing all this energy in the body. Because again, it depends how you, if you label this energy, this is sexual energy, it has to have a sexual release. Okay, you've already put a label on it, you've got the you know, verbal fabrications, you've got the mental fabrications, all you know, working in that direction. And of course, it's going to feel natural. But you don't realize, hey, I, I was the one who interpreted this, these sensations in this way. If you have alternative ways of releasing the energy, it's very different. And they would say, well, why bother? So the same thing could be said with procreation. That could be maybe a different channel for creativity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate to think that you know, my parents had me because they wanted something to play with. But I'm not. <laughs> Anything else on perception? Yes. Um, just to add to what we were just talking about, that um, to for me, um, what's really important to recognize about energy in the body is that it has to do with what happens when the sensation, when the sensory input comes in, because you know the sensory input comes in and it can be met in a way where you're just meeting it in a neutral way. 
and it doesn't create all that energy in the body. And then it can be met in a different way, and it creates a lot of energy in the body. So that it's like a moment-to-moment decision-making process about what and what to do with this and what to do with this and what to do with this. Exactly. Again, so. it's the, whole, the whole structure of dependent co-arising is showing you that it's what you're bringing to the present moment that's going to make all the difference to how you react. And if you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. But if you're, you, know, if you don't have any interest at all, it just, just goes right past you. Yeah. 